the idea of living buildings, at least um, from the point of view of the living building challenge, is all about buildings which are as efficient and in balance with the environment as living organisms. That's the ambition. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today our conversation is with the former Director of Australia's Sustainable Buildings Research Centre, or SBRC for short, Professor Paul Cooper. His work has focused on bringing together a wide range of researchers to holistically address the challenges of making our buildings sustainable and effective places to live and work in. SBRC has a specific focus on retrofitting of buildings to make them more sustainable. Please note that we recorded this during COVID-19 lockdown, so the recording quality is not up to our normal standard. Paul, can you tell us a bit about the SBRC? Yes, the SBRC is a unique research centre which is located at the innovation campus of the University of Wollongong. So that's just an hour or so travel from south of Sydney. And our primary goal is to address the challenge of transforming our buildings and the built environment into sustainable, resilient and highly effective places in which people live and work. And the sorts of things that we do range right across the board from social science research or research with our partners in the social sciences on how to help low-income households save money and improve the indoor environment of their homes through to working on technologies and construction systems so a good example being working with the steel industry and blue scope in particular on the development of new solutions for residential buildings and medium-rise apartments. So perhaps that gives you a bit of a, a, a sense of uh, what we do. I think at least initially SBRC had a focus on retrofitting. Why the focus on retrofitting in that first instance? Well, it was almost uh, a decade ago or just over a decade ago uh, when the genesis of this sustainable buildings research center came about, about. and of course Troy yourself and um, colleague David Varco from Blue Scope uh, at the time um, suggested that uh, a, a good focus for a bid from the university for funding for capital works from the federal government would be on retrofitting our existing building stock because of course there's um, there's a massive challenge in bringing that building stock up to uh, standards that are going to help us address climate change and improve energy efficiency and sustainability generally. So that was our initial focus. And, and we worked hard with a dedicated team from the university and other partners like TAFE and Bluescope and eventually won a $25 million capital works grant to build the SBRC building and a sister building for TAFE uh, nearby, just outside Wollongong. 
So tell us more about the uh, journey towards living building challenge accreditation. Uh, why did you decide to use that particular program and when was it that you made that decision? Well, we learnt that uh, we'd won that uh, Capital Works grant in mid-2010. And right from the start, we knew that we had a responsibility to make the most of this incredibly fortuitous opportunity. And really from uh, day one, my mantra to the design team and just about anybody else who would listen was that we, we had we really, as a, a centre focusing on the sustainability of buildings, had to go above and beyond the benchmarks of the day. And oh, that was the ambition. However, it wasn't that easy to find a framework that would help us get beyond those benchmarks, like Six Star Green Star, which was a benchmark at the time. And just by chance, I came across the Living Building Challenge at a small conference in Sydney. And it really um, answered all the needs I think we had in terms of sourcing a, a holistic framework that was really very stringent and uh, went well beyond the current benchmarks and would uh, see us into the future. What is it that is different about the Living Building Challenge? What differentiates it from other green building programs? I think those two things that I think I mentioned just then, which uh, are a holistic view of buildings, so really taking every aspect of buildings and how they impact upon the environment, and the rigour in which uh, this framework is applied in assessing buildings. So that's very rigorous. At the, at the time, there was really not a great deal of focus on rating in rating systems around the world on the actual performance, the monitored performance of buildings. And so the Living Building Challenge has design and planning elements to it, but also uh, a requirement to uh, assess the performance of the building for a year uh, once it's been occupied and is operating. So I, th I think those really were the, uh, the sort of high level things that differentiated Living Building Challenge from some of the other rating tools, but it also covered issues and does cover issues like embodied energy, which is well ahead of its time. So that's increasingly important as we move towards net zero energy buildings. It's actually the embodied energy and the embodied uh, uh, other sustainability impacts of the building that are really going to matter. So Living Building Challenge seeks to address all those things and actually move beyond sustainability to a point where buildings are actually restorative, restorative in some senses. They give back to the environment. The Living Building Challenge um, framework includes this terminology relating to pedals. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, the idea of living buildings, at least um, from the point of view of the Living Building Challenge, is all about buildings which are as efficient and in balance with the environment as living organisms. That's the 
ambition. So organisms such as trees. So they've used as their motif um, a flower and they use the idea of petals to categorize the ma major issues that need to be dealt with when uh, designing and operating a building. And there are seven petals in the Living Building Challenge. They cover the, the core three, I guess, are energy, water, and materials. And then the other four, some, some of which are pretty tough, are site utilization, what's, what's called health and happiness. Uh, so how does the building improve well-being? And two petals around equity and beauty. So design ec excellence, I guess you'd call that. And those petals really um, uh, are broken down into 21 imperatives, which cover a whole range of things from things like embodied carbon footprint that I mentioned earlier, and water has net zero water and so on. So it's very comprehensive. Can you describe for us the aesthetic, I guess, of the SBRC building itself and how the design and material choice has been influenced by the Living Building Challenge requirements? Well, just to give uh, listeners a, uh, a bit of a picture of the scale of the building, it's uh, 2,600 metres squared approximately um, in terms of floor area. And it's split into two wings as a two-storey office wing with an exhibition hall and small laboratories uh, in one wing. And then we've got a large high bay where we do a lot of testing of all manner of building components. And that includes our new building insights facility where we are able to test the thermal performance of facade systems and so on. But in terms of how the LBC influence the design, it was really fundamental from the start. Uh, so one side of it, I suppose, from the aesthetics, the Living Building Challenge requires designers to take on board biophilic design principles. So learning from nature and um, using solutions that uh, our natural systems have come up with and um, adapting those to the building. And in fact, our building features in a, in a really excellent book if anybody's interested on biophilia, um, creating biophilic buildings, which has been written by Amanda Sturgeon. And um, so the shading systems, for example, um, speak to the canopy of trees, uh, of the way in which the SBRC building's been made. And then on the other side, the fundamental influence of the Living Building Challenge came from the materials uh, petal. And that, that is widely recognized by those in the industry who've looked at the Living Building Challenge to be by far the toughest petal to satisfy. And so that has two aspects to it. You, There are a what's called a red list of um, compounds and uh, materials that are, are prohibited in the use of the building. And some of those are, are, are things you wouldn't, you would expect to be um, 
band uh, like Mercury and um, Cobalt and a list of other elements and so on. But there's others that are uh, more uh, common. So choice of materials was extremely important and the materials also needed to be sourced locally. So uh, there were various radii that the Living Building Challenge sets down beyond which you can't go to source materials. So for steel and concrete, for example, that was 500 kilometres and that influenced aspects of the building. In terms of the actual uh, use of steel in the building, and of course, SBRC itself is also a kind of an experiment for certain technologies. Can you tell us um, the role that steel played in achieving the LVC accreditation and what challenges specifically relating to steel use you found in that process? Well, the steel was used in throughout the building in just about every place that you would expect a building of this scale to use steel uh, and more so in, in, in many respects. So there were, there was of course structural steel in columns and in um, reinforcing bar and post-tensioning steel. And so uh, although we had concrete floor systems, including a thermally activated uh, uh, first floor uh, concrete floor, there was a lot of steel in the building, including sheet metal uh, products, um, specifically colour bond, which was used principally for the roofing. And we have actually used that opportunity of uh, putting those products on our roof to um, use that as part of our living laboratory function of the SBRC building. So we've done some very significant work on understanding the role of cool roof materials on uh, buildings, particularly large buildings. So part of our roof is uh, uses a cool roof products and part of our uh, roofing uses um, uh, more standard, both white uh, products. So that's part of the story, I suppose, but then we've also taken the opportunity to develop new innovative products with um, our partner BlueScope. So for example, the photovoltaic thermal system, which is, um, we demonstrated for the first time on the SBRC building roof, the first prototype, which was a, demonstrating a retrofit to a commercial building roof in a way. And with the photovoltaic thermal system, one has uh, standard um, electrical amorphous solar panels uh, placed on the roof, but then we also harvest heat from underneath those panels as they get warm. So really there was a whole range of um, roles and functions that still played in the building. In terms of how it uh, played into achieving our living building challenge uh, ambitions, it certainly provided the architects with uh, lots of flexibility. Cox Architecture, who the architects are, are well known for having used steel in many of their flagship buildings and uh, the SBRC building was no exception. And, uh, and, and the building has indeed won awards, including the New South Wales 
Milo Dunphy Award for Sustainable Architecture from the Australian Institute of Architects. And so, so the choice of steel certainly had a, um, a, a big influence on the aesthetics. What were some of the key challenges in the process and how did you overcome those? The living building challenge process is indeed challenging and I'd say arduous. It was particularly so for our project because we're the first building to even attempt the living building challenge in Australia. So we didn't have a body of knowledge within uh, the architectural community or consultants about how to approach this. So we were really starting from scratch. And the materials petal of the living building challenge was probably the most difficult thing to deal with. We had to track every single item that came into the building as part of the construction. So we needed to document what uh, its uh, source was, and, with, and how it uh, complied with living building challenge requirements. So every, everything that came into the building, including paint and electrical cables and conduits, concrete, steel adhesives, absolutely everything. And uh, so that produced uh, quite a challenge, not only in developing a, a system that the builder and the architects and the suppliers all had to work together with to track those materials but we also needed to, to determine the ingredients of all in uh, all those materials and in the case of steel i think that was um, made uh, a, a great deal easier than for many other product types uh, the steel industry was well ahead of others in terms of developing environmental product declarations. And remember, this is 10 years ago, we're talking about designing the building and constructing it. So uh, I think steel really um, had a, a clear path to understanding what was in the products. We also were able to answer exactly where the products came from. And so we satisfied the sourcing um, limitations so that so we knew we hadn't exceeded the distance for sorting materials. So that was very onerous and and in large part explains why it's taking us quite a long time to finally get over the line and win uh, full living certification for the building in tracking down all the um, documentation required to prove that all the materials in the building satisfy living building. I'm really shocked to hear that it's 10 years. Um, yeah, 10 years ago that this all started. Um, how did it actually feel to get the certification last year? Well, for me personally, I, it was a feeling of elation, really. Um, uh, those who were in the SBRC building at the time will let, know that um, they heard the biggest shout ever heard inside the, the building when I read the email from the certification team in the US that we'd won full accreditation. We'd been working so hard for that. And a lot of people have worked towards that moment, some, as I say, for nearly 10 years. And uh, we 
had a celebration which brought together uh, a lot of the people who uh, uh, were involved in the project from the start uh, uh, in February. So that was a wonderful thing. And, you know, what we were celebrating was that the SBRC is one of only three living, fully living certified projects in the world outside the USA. Uh, there's also one in New Zealand, of course, um, which uh, is living certified. Uh, and I'm not sure of the pronunciation here, but Te uh, Kura Ware, uh, which was developed by a Maori community. So uh, um, this part, part of uh, the planet has um, a real concentration of excellence there. And I think uh, the SBRC really, uh, as by winning that accreditation has demonstrated that we've set a new benchmark. It's not since 2006 that the first building in Australia, which was the Council House 2 building in uh, Melbourne, won the first six star green star um, accreditation. And that's still the current benchmark. So, you know, it's nearly 14 years since then. And the SBRC, I think, has demonstrated we can go much further towards um, a sustainable future from that point of view. For our listeners, there's an awesome documentary about that New Zealand project as well. So what would you say are the strengths and improvement opportunities in the overall process? Well, I go back to the uh, my initial thoughts that uh, the strengths of the living building challenge and the process involved is it's holistic. It covers everything from embodied energy right through to operations, whether you are net zero water uh, and measuring all that. So it's rigorous as well. And particularly on the material side of things, I like to use the analogy that we've got pretty good food labeling legislation. So we know what the ingredients are of the food in, that we're eating. That's pretty important, but we don't do the same as yet for the ingredients that we construct our buildings from. And I think uh, that's a real strength. And, um, you know, I, I, I think tracking materials coming into buildings is something that should be done much more stringently. But in terms of uh, how things might improve in the future, it is been for us a very long process. And that's partly because we were the first building and the first design and construction team that have attempted the living building challenge and staff from Cox and our university in Cundall uh, did a wonderful job in pioneering everything from sourcing information on materials to the monitoring and putting together the documentation. And I think it will become a smoother exercise as knowledge of uh, the LBC becomes more widespread in the design and construction community. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, would you say were the key learnings in, in the overall process? Well, first of all, the, the Living Building Challenge is achievable in practice. And so it's not uh, something impossible. Uh, it's uh, perfectly achievable. A lot of people early in the piece when we first said we were going to attempt this 
journey uh, said, well, that's not practicable. But uh, so that we've proved that not to be the case. And there's lots of lessons along the way uh, for the architects, for example, if you, uh, I've heard um, Michael Bradburn, who is one the project architect and Joe Aguirre from Cox Architecture mentioned how it's really important to choose your materials palette early on because you can't um, easily add in materials to the design of the building um, after, after you've chosen those primary materials because you're likely to run into problems with um, accreditation and, and so on. And for the SBRC researchers, myself included, we learned a, a huge amount about the performance of advanced buildings like ours and the construction industry as it stands at the moment, warts and all, uh, some great um, capabilities and expertise in that construction space, but also areas where if you're pushing boundaries in terms of sustainability, um, wherein there are places where great improvements could be made. I know that in the bid preparation, there was a key focus on the human aspects of how buildings are utilised and how sustainable technologies are utilised by people. Were there any behavioural changes um, in the use of the building that was a result of um, this process? The uh, short answer to that is yes, there are quite a number of uh, changes in which we all as occupants of the building uh, behaved uh, and used the building. Uh, one really good example is that the living building challenge requires all projects to have a, a certain fraction of their development footprint devoted to urban agriculture and the fraction depends on um, the density of the development and, and those sorts of things. But in uh, our case, we've got, we grow veggies in our um, urban agriculture gardens. And so the staff and the students, not every day, but uh, frequently uh, plant our lettuces and our aubergines and chilies and everything else and harvest that and it either eat the produce uh, at work or uh, or take them home and that really changes quite fundamentally one's connection to the building um, and there are other ways in which uh, that connection is is uh, highlighted often and so for instance we need to be net zero energy and uh, net zero water so we have to keep an eye on how we're tracking in terms of energy and not used too much, but that's not really a big problem at the moment. We've got a, uh, a very net positive outcome at the moment from our photovoltaics on the roof, 160 kilowatts of them. But water is, um, in the Australian cl climate and you know recent drought and so on, that's something that's uh, often on people's minds. So we, we have to be, uh, very aware and you know our uh, facilities management people keep us up to speed on where we're at in terms of our water storage and so on. Uh, 
Has the scheme actually become more commonplace now? Are you aware of other buildings in Australia that are going through the process? Certainly, there are more projects uh, on stream now. There's a, uh, a local chapter of the International Living Future Institute in Australia. That's the Living F Future Institute of Australia, LFIA. So they're um, really getting up quite ahead of steam in terms of getting projects on board. My understanding there's something of the order of 15 developments um, underway. And the most significant of those is the uh, Burwood Brickwoods Brickworks project which is uh, a large development that's being built to living um, building standards and is aiming to be the first living certified retail centre in the world. And that's in Victoria, so um, south of here. So there's definitely um, interest, not just from smaller um, enterprises that are, are in the building game and building design game, but uh, large developers as well. I know that there are some projects being considered uh, in New Zealand as well, one of them at the Victoria University of Wellington. Uh, what advice would you give to others who are considering the LBC? Well, my first uh, piece of advice is go for it. Uh, I think uh, it's achievable and it's a, it's a great design framework, the Living Building Challenge framework. For us, it gave us uh, a framework that really pulled all these different elements or, and in potential impacts of a building from all the materials that have to be sourced and um, equipment placed in the building, making sure that they're all safe and ecologically benign, right through to ensuring that you've got good air quality and performance in the in the in the space for the occupants. So my other piece of advice to those thinking about adopting the Living Building Challenge for their project is to connect with the very many people who've had experience with the project. The architects who've worked through the whole issue of sourcing materials, dealing with biophilic design and so on. And there are projects now in Australia where we have that experience and people can call on the Australian uh, Living Futures Institute chapter. And the same is true for New Zealand with the buildings there that uh, we have experience in. So reach out and um, don't try and reinvent the wheel. There's a whole uh, lot of complexity that uh, the pioneers have been through that others can uh, build on. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Paul today. If you'd like to connect more with him, you'll find his details in the show notes. If you liked what you heard today, then you may be interested in becoming a certified member of the Sustainable Steel Council. This will give you exclusive access to support tools to improve your sustainability performance, may assist you in the tendering process and enable you to meet the criteria for Green Star Points under Credit 20. To find out more, get in contact with me. My details are in the show notes.